Good morning. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew. No, Proverbs chapter 31. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Am I, am I on or no? Okay. Well, it's so good to see you all this morning, and I just want to start by wishing a happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. So mothers, happy Mother's Day. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. This also happens to be our second Sunday of the month in which we, as is our custom here at First Baptist, we partake of communion. I personally don't see any conflict with that. Um, To partake of communion on this day, and at the same time, to take this moment to recognize, whoa, whoa. To also recognize our uh, our um, our moms. The older I get, the more I reflect on on moms. Uh, the more I come to realize that a mom, when she is loving you and providing for you and sacrificially, self-sacrificially giving for you, in all of those things, she is reflecting the heart of Christ. And so this morning we're going to be partaking of communion. And uh, that is a wonderful thing to do. But as we prepare our hearts for communion, it's important to recognize as we consider all the ways that our moms love us and all the ways that they care for us, that they are giving us a picture of the nurturing, caring aspect of Christ. So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of moms and uh, as well as ladies. Perhaps there are some here today, Father, who are not married, who have not had the privilege, perhaps, of, of having children, but they still love and they still care and they still give and serve and sacrifice for the greater good of, of your people. We recognize them in addition to all of the moms in the house this morning. Lord, we thank you for all of these beautiful, wonderful, amazing ladies who show forth the heart and the character of your son in the way that they give for all of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving them to us. And we praise you, Father, as we behold the character of your son in the example of their lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We continue to remember Pastor Al in our prayers. I got the call yesterday afternoon. Of course, he's in the hospital. He's having a little bit of a struggle with his heart. They're not entirely sure what's going on. And, and uh, he asked me if I would be prepared to preach this morning. And of course, I said, yes, sure. But knowing the man that Pastor Al is, I thought, ah, he'll be out of the hospital. No problems. He'll be. So I didn't actually take that admonition you know, too seriously to be, to be ready. Uh, nevertheless, I got the call this morning from Sheila. said, actually, yes, he is still in the hospital. They're not letting him go. And so... Uh, you're, you're going to be bringing the message this morning. A number of years ago, my pastor from Cedar Heights Baptist Church, Royce Dodd, he pulled me aside on a Saturday afternoon and he said, you're preaching tomorrow. And I said, why? And he said, because you can tell a lot about a man when you ask him to preach on little to no notice. And that's true. And that's what I'm so afraid of this morning. So as we get to know each other a little bit better, let's jump into the word. A couple of things I just want to be careful to do this morning as we consider our moms and as we consider what the Word of God has to say about a godly woman and a godly mother. We're not just talking about ladies who are married, who have had children, who have raised families. We're, we're talking about what a godly woman looks like. And you don't have to be married and you don't have to have children of your own necessarily to be, to be a godly woman. 
And so I pray that for those of you who are with us who are single or perhaps have never had children of your own, I pray that this message would speak to you this morning. As I was considering what to say or what passage to preach on for Mother's Day, the one that just immediately comes to mind is Proverbs 31. I think this text adequately captures in its its entirety everything that there is to say from God's perspective about what a godly woman is, what a godly woman looks like. And so our text for this morning is Proverbs 31. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. There's something that I don't think it'll will be readily noticeable to you as you're looking at your English translations, but this is actually this passage from Proverbs 31 verses from chapter 31 verses 10 to 31 is actually an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is, don't you? Most of you here, I'm going to give you one. For example, take the word mother. An acrostic is essentially where you take the letter, each letter in the word, and then you come up with something that can be said, you know, starting with that letter. It's something we use to to praise people. It's something we use to remember certain things. It can be a mnemonic device. And so for Mother's Day, here is a mother acrostic. M is for the millions of things that she gave to me. O means only that she's growing old physically, but ever younger in her heart. T is for the tears that she shed over me. H is for her heart, which was and is as pure as gold. E is for, the, is for her eyes when she would stare at, with, at me with pride. R means that she is right, and she will always be right. <laughs> Amen? All right then. So that's an, an example of an acrostic. And what you have here in Proverbs 31 is you have an acrostic from the Hebrew language. Now, because the Hebrew letters are different than our English letters, if you're looking here in your, in your English translation, it won't immediately jump out to you that you're looking at an acrostic. But nonetheless, that's what it is. All 22 letters of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew alphabet are present here. And this is helpful to know because it tips us off that the author of this particular passage, this Proverbs 31 godly woman passage, is not making a logical argument. He's not pounding home some deep theology or, or some critical idea that is necessary to our walk with Christ. He's, he's composing a poem. He's, he's not making a logical argument. He's stringing together pearls. He is doing this because he is wanting to praise and to draw your attention to the beauty of a godly woman. So taking our cue from this, looking at this, this acrostic here in Proverbs 31, I think that as we reflect on what a godly woman and a godly mother is, we should try to do three things today by looking at this particular passage. The first is we should inspire our moms and our ladies who are here today to fear the Lord. Because ultimately, that's what constitutes a godly woman. It is a lady who fears the Lord. So we want to look at this passage, and we want to encourage and exhort all of the ladies here, as well as all of the men and all of the sons and daughters, that godliness, and at the heart of godliness, is a fear of the Lord. Two, it should inspire husbands. I just said that. Three, I'm winging it this morning, so wing with me. Three, it should contain praise for her. Now, to help accomplish these goals, I want to answer three questions from the text this morning. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does that actually mean? Two, why is it so important that we praise a woman or a mom who fears the Lord? Why is that so important? And three, 
for those of us who are single who are maybe still searching for that right lady, how can we tell if a woman truly fears the Lord? What does that look like in action? So that's where we're going with the message this morning. Let's start off with question one. What does it actually mean to fear the Lord? If you look down in your passage to verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What is being said there is the fact that it doesn't matter how beautiful she is, it doesn't matter how charming or how wonderful her personality is, these things can pass away. A really, really charming, really, really sweet, sweet lady can turn nasty on the drop of a dime and in terms of physical outward beauty those things are fleeting the author of this particular passage says the thing that we're looking for is not charm not beauty but whether or not she fears the lord so the question that we have to ask is what does this mean what does it mean to actually fear the lord I'd like for us, as we answer this question, to consider a passage from the life of Israel. All the way back in Exodus chapter 20, don't flip there, just listen. After giving the Ten Commandments, it says in verse 18, when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. They see God on, mount, on the mountain and he's, he's talking and the mountain is just, it's wrapped up in a storm of fire. And they're afraid. So they stood afar off and they said to Moses, you, you be the one to speak to us. And we will hear, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Now follow me here. Do not fear. For God has come to test you or to prove you, that the fear of him may be before your eyes in order that you may not sin. That's a paradoxical statement, isn't it? They see God on the mountain, and the mountain is smoking, and there's fire and flashes and rumblings, and the mountain is shaking, and they're afraid, and they're like, okay, we don't want God to talk to us. Moses, we want you to talk to us. And Moses says, don't be afraid. This is happening, so you'll be afraid. That's exactly what the passage says. I'll read it to you again. Do not fear, for God has come to prove you or to test you that the fear of him may be before your eyes in order that you may not sin. Don't be afraid. God is doing this so that you will fear him. You'll be afraid of him so that you won't sin. So don't be afraid, but do be afraid, okay? We have both of these statements together in the same passage, and of course there's a bit of a tension here. This is not a contradiction. Moses is getting at the heart of what it means to fear God. And having a fear of God means that there are certain other things that you will not fear. We need to dwell on this text, and we need to consider what's being said here. God desires, first off, and we know this from Moses' statement, that the fear of him will always be before your eyes in such a way that you will want to stay near to him and not run away from him. You're saying, that's crazy. I can't be close to someone that I'm afraid of. It does seem quite difficult. Perhaps the best anecdotal illustration I've ever heard to explain this concept comes from Dr. John Piper. 
He relates an, ex- an experience from early in his pastoral ministry when his son was still a young, a young guy, uh, Karsten. He was still at this time maybe seven or eight years old. And they went to visit some people in his church. And Dr. Piper relates that these individuals had a Rottweiler dog as a pet. And of course, Rottweilers can be quite menacing and quite scary. And so the lady that they were visiting gave the encouragement to his son you know, he's lovely, he's, he's wonderful, happy dog, he loves for you to pet him, he's friendly, he won't bite you. Just one thing, don't run away from him. Because the moment you take off and you run away, he's going to hunt you down, okay? Now, he's going to hunt you down because, as a dog, he likes your company, he wants you to give him your attention, your affection, but when you turn to run, obviously he's going to interpret that a certain way, And he's going to come after you. And of course, later on in the morning as they're enjoying their time together with this parishioner, Dr. Piper says to Karsten, oh, I left my Bible in the car. Would you please go and fetch it for me? And so Karsten, absentmindedly, without thinking about it, turns and runs to the car. And like a heat-seeking missile, that Rottweiler goes right after him and grabs him and wrestles him to the ground. Doesn't bite him, doesn't hurt him. You know, he he did bite him, but didn't, you know, break skin or anything like that. And Dr. Piper relates this incident, and he says that's what the fear of the Lord really is. God wants you to be near him, and he is a jealous God, so that he opposes anything that would draw your heart or your affections away from him. And because he loves you, cannot abide you turning your heart towards any other idol or any other god looking to worship anything else. So in a very real sense, he is, and I, I, again, this is short notice, so I haven't adequately prepared all of my comments this morning, but in a real sense, God is kind of like that Rottweiler. He wants your focus on him. He wants your attention on him. He wants you to be him, with him. He is a friend to you. But you should fear running away from him. And that fear of running away, that fear of turning and fleeing from the Lord towards anything else should keep you focused on him. Now that's what we know from the book of Exodus. That's what Moses is saying. And as we consider what makes up a godly woman, a godly mother, or the godly single ladies who are with us this morning, it is not their personality, although they have lovely personalities. It is not their beauty. All of these things ultimately fade with time. The scripture says what makes a woman amazing and what makes her worthy of praise is that she fears the Lord. That constitutes a godly woman. Why should we praise this woman? Why should we lift her up? Why should we, as this author here has done in Proverbs 31, come up with an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet and gone through and come up with all of these different descriptions, heaping up praise upon praise for this woman? I think that the reason is that when we praise that which is admirable, as this author has done here, when we take time, as we're doing today, to lift up our godly women, 
and our godly moms, I think that it feels good for all of us, men particularly, sons and daughters. It feels good for us to do this because, in a way, it honors God, two of the reasons why. Number one, it honors God. And number two, it's an encouragement to the godly ladies among us. The first reason I say that it honors God is when we praise anything that God delights in, it's a backhanded way of glorifying the Lord. You all know that I have two kids, and they can be rambunctious and rowdy at times, and at other times they can be very sweet and very charming and very well-behaved. When they are behaved, well-behaved, sometimes you observe, man, Josh, you're doing a great job with those two girls. You're, you know, they are so well-behaved. Sometimes you don't say it to me, you say it to them. We're walking on our way out to church, and one of you runs into Chloe or Olive, and, and uh, they say something you know, my, you know, somewhat entertaining and cute at the same time. And uh, you say, well, aren't you just a well-behaved young lady? I am not a well-behaved young lady. I'm a mischievous, full-grown adult pastor. <laughs> but when you say that to them you're in a way complimenting me because I'm raising them to be well-behaved. The author of Proverbs 31 takes a lot of time and energy for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet to string together praises, to heap up adoration for this godly woman. And he's doing that because as he is delighting in her, as he is praising her, as he is finding all of those things that are beautiful about her, indirectly he is praising the God who formed her, who fashioned her, and who developed her character, a character that ultimately fears him. So when we delight on Mother's Day in mothers that are godly, when we say, thank you, Mom, for loving me and sacrificing for me, thank you, Mom, for all those times you were there, for all the kisses and all the band-aids and all the times I fell off my bike and you wouldn't let me fail, for all the things that you did in order to make me into the person I am today, we're delighting in a mom who has reflected the character of Christ to us. And though we're complimenting her, we're complimenting him. That's one of the things we gain from this example here in Proverbs 31. But the second thing is, when we do that, it strengthens her. When we say to someone, I love how you fear the Lord, you know what that makes them want to do? It makes them want to just keep on keeping on fearing the Lord. When you encourage someone, as this guy has done here with this woman, I mean, I have no idea who the lady is that was the source of inspiration for this passage. It's not important from the Lord's perspective, otherwise he would have put it in here. But imagine, because there was a lady who served as the inspiration for this together with the Holy Spirit. There was somebody that prompted this person to write this passage. Imagine her feelings when she reads this. Ladies, I want to just pause for a moment and I want you to read now with me. 
And I want you to imagine, and guys, I'm about to put you in a little bit of trouble here, okay? Just want you to know ahead of time you're in trouble, but it's okay. All right, we're going to raise the bar. Imagine, ladies, your husband or your son or daughter writing something like this about you. And I'm going to read it to you now, and I just want you to hear it. I'm going to be reading it. I want you to hear it as though I'm your husband or as though I'm one of your sons just reading this passage to you. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and she sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently. But you, mom, you, wife, you, godly lady, have surpassed them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Imagine if that's your husband and now your pastor has given you permission to go home and require this of your husband later today. Say, you know, somebody wrote Proverbs 31. What have you written for me lately? (laughs) C.S. Lewis said somewhere in some writing of his um, that praise is the consummation of joy. That when you delight in something, when you take joy in something, you have to praise it. You have to express it. That the verbal, audible, presentation of that praise, praising that thing, is in a sense the way that you maximize and you consummate your joy in it. When you consider something and it makes you happy, that's good. You're, you're happy. But somehow in the expressing of it, in the speaking forth of that thought that you're having in your spirit, in your heart, it just, it just magnifies that joy all that much more. 
You're speaking words of praise to a woman who has earned it. She receives that. She delights in that. And when you see her delighting in that well-earned praise, it brings even more praise to your heart. Again, somewhere C.S. Lewis had some, has said something along those lines, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure where. So we should, number one, praise her, the godly woman. The scripture says she is to be praised. It's a command in the Hebrew. Men, you are required by your God to praise those noteworthy and beautiful things about your wives or your sisters or the single ladies that sacrifice and give. We are called to praise them in all the ways that they reflect the character of Christ. Praising them, number one, consummates our joy. Number two, it strengthens their hand. It encourages them to continue fearing the Lord. Um, okay, sorry. Let me go back a page now. What does a woman look like? What does a godly woman, a woman who fears the Lord, what does we look like? This is finally how we ask the question, how can we identify a woman who fears the Lord? What does she look like in action, practical day-to-day living? I think that is what the acrostic of verses 10 to 31 really intend to give us. This person is praising her. He is consummating his joy by praising her. He is encouraging her by praising her. At the heart of what makes a woman godly is that she fears the Lord. But all of this passage together now tells us what we're really looking for. What does a godly woman really look like? First, and I'm not going to go through all of these, I'm going to draw your attention to a couple of things. First of all, a woman who fears the Lord is not anxious about the future. Note this, she laughs at the time to come. Verse 25, and I love this line, and I want to praise all the women in my life who've been, who've been like this in, in my experience, who it was always going to be okay. I can remember as a young man falling down, scraping my knee, and, and as a four or five-year-old boy, it's the end of the world. My life is over. I have a bloody knee. And my mom says, it's okay. It's okay. And she gives it a kiss and a little Band-Aid, and it is okay at that point. I can remember as a seminary student, struggling through my master's, writing paper after paper, reading hundreds of pages of dry, boring theologians every night, convinced I was going to fail that Greek exam, calling my mom, saying, Mom, I just don't know that I have what it takes to be a pastor or to get through all of this education. And the same way that she said it to me as a five-year-old, she said it to me again as a grown man. It's okay. It's okay. Whatever God wills to happen, Josh, we can trust him. He'll take care of you. A woman who does not fear the future because she fears the Lord is absolutely confident whatever happens, the Lord is in control. The poetic expression here, she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come. Therefore, we should look at the godly women in our lives is those who have an inner peace despite the most unbelievable external circumstances. Not knowing the outcome of those events, but knowing that God is in control. Second, the woman who fears the Lord has practical wisdom. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You and I have all been taught 
I guess, from the very earliest moments of our walk in Christianity. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. From this same book, Proverbs 9.10, and from chapter 1 even. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's no surprise that the woman who fears the Lord opens her mouth with wisdom. She fears the Lord, so as she speaks to us, as she teaches us, as she encourages us, she is speaking from a heart that fears the Lord, which means that the words of her mouth are going to be words of wisdom and godly counsel. It's no surprise that when she opens her mouth, it's with words of wisdom. And there's a very close connection here between a practical, gracious wisdom and a freedom from anxiety about the future. The wisest people I know are the people who hope in the Lord and they have quieted their soul like a child resting in their mother's arms. While people who are anxious, who are most tense, who are fearful and constantly worrying about tomorrow are those whose counsel I tend to bank on the least. They're not sure what direction they're going. They're blown about by the wind. So when they give advice to me, I don't know that it's even advice that they themselves would hold to. They have not turned to the Lord. They have not sought his counsel. They haven't learned how to quiet their hearts before him and to follow the path that he lays out for them. But the godly woman, I trust her counsel because she does not fear the time to come. Because she fears the Lord, and that is what makes her counsel so wonderful. Women, there is a wisdom that your family and friends and associates need, which will only come from a heart that can laugh at the future because it fears the Lord. Third, the woman who fears the Lord is strong. Verse 25, going back, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. Verse 17, she girds her loins with strength and she makes her arms strong. She will be morally strong. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day long. So a godly woman is a woman who is strong. She is morally strong. She is a woman that is able to face the burdens and the demands of the day because she is confident that the Lord is with her. She seeks to honor him. She is not chasing after the delights of the wicked. The fear of the Lord is an impulse to wisdom. And fourth, the fourth thing that I just want to share with you briefly from this passage, a woman who fears the Lord will live not for herself but for others. A woman who fears the Lord will live not for herself, but for others, especially her husband, if she is married. Verses 11 and 12 says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. A woman who fears the Lord will not squander the family's livelihood on frivolous purchases, but she will have the complete trust of her husband because she is for him and she is not against him. Wherever possible, she supplements his earnings if she is able to with her own own earnings. She doesn't squander what her husband brings home. But more important than this financial aspect of that particular verse, I think is where it says that the heart of her husband trusts in her. Everywhere I go, I know that Shanti will never, ever, ever, ever speak critically or negatively of me. Everywhere I go, I know 
there are lots of negative and critical things which are completely true which Shanti could say about me. A number of years ago, I was at again serving as the associate pastor at Cedar Heights and it's just kind of the way among us pastors where we rib and tease with each other and we poke fun at each other and uh, my pastor Royce Dodd he, he always says your husband this is when I was in seminary your husband's so lazy he never comes to work what does he do with all of his time you know and uh, obviously what I'm doing with all of my time is studying but he would just kind of jostle and tease with me that way and what he was looking for from my wife from Shanti is for her to say something along the lines of yeah you're right that guy that I'm married to, he's so lazy. He was looking for her to make some sort of comment like that. But she never would. She never would. She would come right back at him and say, I bet he works a lot harder than you do. <laughs> I bet you he's up longer at night than you are. And it was, she was playing. This wasn't actually a real argument, but it was a teasing kind of back and forth thing. And I'll never forget this. There was one time after a Sunday evening service, we were standing in the parking lot getting ready to get into our cars. And again, Pastor Royce comes out and he's kind of jabbing and poking fun at me. And he says, hey, Shanti, hey, you know, like trying to get her to go along and agree with him. And of course she said, no, I don't think so. And he said, he, then he looks at me in exasperation. He says, what kind of a woman is this that you're married to? She will never say a bad word about you. And in my heart, I'm thinking... Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. And Shanti says it's not what a Proverbs 31 woman does. She came back with the scripture quote. She says, I want my husband's heart to trust in me, to know that I will do him good at all times. Yeah, there are lots of negative, critical things that she could say. She knows me. She knows my weird obsession with a perfect, flawless garden and my drive to perfection, having that green grass grow perfectly. She could tell you all the weird idiosyncrasies that I have. I'm not going to share any of those with you this morning. (laughs) And neither will she. Because she's a Proverbs 31 woman. For the single fellows that are out there, or for the single ladies that are out there who are dating, this is something that you need to consider. As you're dating, that special someone that you're with, Will they be for you or will they be against you? Will they be for the family or will they be for themselves? Will they support you and lift you up? Will it always be a a fight and a struggle? The Proverbs 31 woman is for her husband. Her heart is to lift him up so that when he goes to the gates, to the place where the men go to gather, Everyone praises him because of how she has helped him and complimented him and upheld him. I cannot emphasize that enough. A number of years ago when I was involved in university ministry, I was talking to a student who was desperate to meet someone and to get married, and the statement was made, there's nothing worse than being single. And the response that just came spontaneously was except for being married to the wrong person. There's nothing worse than being single except forcing a marriage that isn't in God's will. That's far worse than being single. It says in verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What a wonderful word of praise. Everybody knows that behind any good man is a good woman. Everybody knows that if a guy shows up color-coordinated, it's got to be because his wife had something to do with it. 
I tease, and I, I'm glad we're all laughing, but you know there's a lot of truth to that statement. And it goes beyond just simple color coordination and fashion. If a guy has it together, if it's squared away, if his house is in order, and if he has the wherewithal where he can serve you and be a blessing to you because he knows things back home are taken care of, you know it's because of the support of a wonderful, godly woman who's backing him. What an amazing praise. When this guy is trying to praise and encourage this woman, he says to her, when your husband is in the gates, he is admired. And she rightly takes that as a compliment entirely for herself. Ladies, I hope you notice that. A wife who fears the Lord increases the esteem of her husband at the gates of the city. And in 15 and a half years of marriage, my wife has never done or said anything in public that would have caused me to be ashamed. It's a completely true statement. There are things she said to me in private that have always caused me to be, to be ashamed, but never in public. And she has my absolute trust as a representative of what our family stands for. Because she fears the Lord. There is no place I might go where I would be ashamed to take Shanti. She is a crown to my head and a signet ring on my right hand. She is for me 100% because, as I said, she's a woman who truly does fear the Lord. Now, one last mark of the woman who fears the Lord, whether married or not. She lives for the good of those who are in need. Verse 20 She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, you can be a godly woman. First, by fearing the Lord, by giving your heart to Him, by trusting in Him. And what that will ultimately reproduce in you is a selflessness that is prepared to sacrifice for those around you. She opens her hand for the needy. She draws near to those who need help the most. That is the essence of the woman in Proverbs 31. She takes care of her family, she takes care of her house, but she takes care of everyone. Whether they're her kids or not, she's there for all who need her. If you're here today and you're struggling with singleness and whether or not you'll ever have kids, whether you're here today and you're married and you've got 15 kids. The thing that makes you beautiful is not the clothes you wear, not the personality you have. It's your love of God, your fear of God that results in you loving and caring for everyone. And men, that goes for you as well. Sons and daughters, that is a lesson that can be applied to all of us. I was recently reading a book off of the uh, New York Times bestseller. It's called The Girl with Seven Names, a North Korean defector's story of survival by Hyunso Lee. She grew up in a communist country where it was extremely dangerous to be an individual. The passage that really stood out to me, she talks about how her mom would, I mean, to live in this country, they're, they're so impoverished. You have to bribe, you have to beg, you have to steal in order to get the things that you need in order to live. 
And Hansa Lee is talking about her mom. They weren't Christian. They lived in a country that is atheistic, that opposes Christianity in every regard. But Hansa Lee, who would eventually find the courage and the strength to escape from North Korea, to run away and to save her life, she attributes that strength to the formative influence that her mom had on her life. And she makes the statement talking about becoming a member of the communist youth club. Every child is required to become a member at some point. Uh, you could apply, you were eligible to apply to become a member of the communist youth club as early as the age of seven. Sometimes you'd have to wait until the age of 14. It was sort of a prestige thing in terms of how quickly you could take the test and, uh, and master all of the principles necessary to become a good card-carrying communist. And uh, she was accepted, Han So Lee was accepted as a member of the Communist Party at the age of seven, the earliest possible age. And of course, there's this grand uh, induction ceremony where they parade all of these kids across the stage at the end of the school year and they say, these are the kids who've been accepted this year into the Communist Party. In North Korea, there is no fashion because they all wear the same thing because they're so impoverished. They have state-issued basic uniform-type clothing that they wear. Hyun So Lee's mom happened across a pair of red shoes that were very expensive that she bought for her daughter. And she surprised her daughter with them. She said, I've got these for you. And Hyun So Lee was blown away. Red shoes? I didn't know such a thing existed. I thought they were all black everywhere, all over the earth. She says, I know, but I found some that will fit you, and they're red. And Han So Lee is frightened because she says, but then I won't look the same as everyone else. To which her mom said, Han So, listen. Your name is Han So. You're my daughter. And you're not like everyone else. Han So Lee was inducted into the Communist Party. And again, she would eventually escape from North Korea, but this is what you do when you're a grade school kid. And years later, writing her memoir, reflecting on the sacrifices of her mom because those shoes had to be bought at great cost. She says, my mother, was, my mother was, even at that early age, encouraging a dangerous individuality within me. She was nurturing and cultivating the person that I was, that I am, and she was drawing forth from me the woman that I would eventually become. She was sacrificing for me. This is one event in many that I can recall where my mom was saving my life by strengthening me and giving me the courage to run. Moms and ladies who love with selfless abandon for the good of us all, you are mirroring and reflecting the love of Jesus Christ to us. And so I want to say in conclusion this morning, thank you. And happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we pray for the ladies who are gathered here. Father, we pray that you would encourage them to be godly, that they would fear you. Father, we pray for all those who are here, that we would seek to praise that which is praiseworthy, that we would consummate our joy by expressing words of delight to the ladies among us who fear you, who are godly. We pray, God, that they would also be strengthened by that praise, that they would be encouraged 
We pray, Father, that as they are encouraged, they would more and more seek to reflect and mirror to us the nurturing, beautiful, caring love of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Father, for these wonderful moms who are in this room today. And we pray, Father, that on this day, this Mother's Day, they would be encouraged, that they would take joy, and that their hearts would be again turned to you as they serve us, as they sacrifice for us. We thank you, Lord, for moms. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.